The opinions expressed on Tomahawk Talk may not reflect that of WVFS Tallahassee. Chiefs 38 and the Eagles 35. Six seconds left in Super Bowl 57 regulation. Hertz takes the snap. The Chiefs only rushing two on a delay. Clock is going to be out of time, and the pass is going to be underthrown. It's incomplete. It's incomplete. Everyone, everyone who claims that Chiefs Kingdom will raise a banner above the National Football League again for the second time in four seasons, the Lombardi Trophy has a red and gold reflection, a big red reflection that Chiefs are champions of Super Bowl 57. The Kansas City Chiefs beat the Philadelphia Eagles by a score of 38 to 35 and win Super Bowl 57 ring number two for both Mahomes and Andy Reid. It is a very good evening to you and how you be with William Haynes here and you there at seven o'clock on this Super Bowl Monday night. One of our biggest shows of the year talking about the big game, everything that happened in and around it, what it means for the players involved and so many great uh, NFL conversations on really recapping the final day of the football year. It's going to be a few months till we have some more pigskin to discuss, so we got to soak it all up while we still can. Uh, again, this is Tomahawk Talk, the weekly sports power hour on the voice of Florida State, 89.7 FM, terrestrially on your radio, online at wvfs.fsu.edu, anywhere in the world, and the show is always available the next day as a podcast you can call the show and talk with us whatever takes you got we'd love to hear them and, and chat with you a little bit 850-644-1837 a phone line open for the entire hour until eight o'clock with new release but all sports until then i'm william haynes uh, let me introduce our co-host jackson bake it's jackson great to have you in a, a big show in store tonight <coughs> I appreciate it, William. I just want to make sure, you know, my, my throat is clear, so I'm heard loud and clear. Um, I'll tell you, you know, I usually say if I was doing any better, I'd be dead. And it pains me to say that I could be doing better because American football, it's gone. It's gone for the next few months. Um, it hit me today. I, I didn't even think about it last night. I was so enthralled with the Super Bowl and its magnificent magnificence, excuse me. Um, that I, I just didn't even pay any attention to the fact that American football, the game that we love, um, our pride, our joy, it's done. It's done until uh, late August, early September, um, and I'm sad. You're right. I think especially for those of us here in Tallahassee, I think even our relationship with football has changed over the past few months mm -hmm. because for the first time in so long, Florida State football was reason for excitement. And I think all around a great NFL season. I mean, we can we can talk about it, but I think this Super Bowl 57 is up there with some of the better ones. 38-35, yeah. we finally got that big shootout uh, that everyone wanted with the two big offenses and all that. So. It's reasonable to feel this way, to kind of mourn the loss of a great sport, but it's been a great season. And and I'm somber, but this show is not going to be, so stick around. we got a great one. <laughs> um, Super Bowl 57, what a night. Really, really excited to, uh, to chop it up with you. And here we are the day after. Next up on our panel uh, to my right, we'll start off with uh, Ian Hughes. Actually, all four of us here in the studio shared the uh, coincidentally the same Super Bowl party, so we all took the game in together, but... Uh, back here again to talk about it. Ian, thanks for coming on tonight. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, wasn't a coincidence. I wanted to be there. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it was a great time. There's a good game. I guess we'll get to the ending later, but there's lots to talk about. And finally, on the show, Andrew Cheney. Andrew, great to have you along as well. Save your whining for a couple months, I think. Kyle Sloter, Drew Plitt, Eric Dungy, Brandon Silvers, Caleb Ellaby. I bide my time that I might usually spend honoring myself or giving some introduction to the Extreme Football League beginning this Saturday. You know, Andrew, I, I totally forgot about that. And, you know, I apologize. But I also think I deserve an apology for, for last night uh, at that Super Bowl party. Um, for those of you that watched the Super Bowl and all the commercials, uh, there was an ad for Tubi, the, the streaming service, 
And um, I happened to, to change seats as soon as that commercial was going on. And uh, for those that watched the commercial, you know, it, it seemed like um, someone had touched the remote. It seemed as though somebody had, you know, changed the TV settings and turned the game away from the Super Bowl. And yes, I was sitting in the seat in which the TV remote was in. I had literally just changed seats. And so I got the blame for the rest of the night. And, uh, no, publicly, I would like an apology from all of you guys. I was not involved in the in the criticism of you, but I will apologize on behalf of the rest of uh, the ignorant people that did not realize it was a commercial. I, I, I appreciate uh, it. I, I think it would be fair to also mention earlier when Jackson used the toilet and the seat was left you know, up. You know, yeah, that did sources. happen. I, I will say that did happen, and I, even at home, in, in my own abode, I always put it back down. But, you know, the one time I was enthralled with the fact that, you know, the host didn't have a, have a, uh, a towel to, to wipe the hands. So I was thinking about that, and I just totally forgot about the seat. So um, a lot of blame to go around everywhere. Uh, I'll take my, my bit of it for sure. But, yes, I am, I am not proud to say, but I will say because it did happen, I did forget to leave the toilet seat down. That's part of the conversation around the Super Bowl every year is uh, players that had never played in the game. You know, they grow up playing in big games in high school and college and even maybe in the NFL to get to the Super Bowl. But there's nothing like the nerves when you finally get to that big game. And maybe for you, uh, a routine play, but yep. a, a little bit of a, a lapse of judgment, yep. a little bit of nerves getting to you and, and a routine play. There's a pot fly, a can of corn. You know, it just every once in a while you uh, you just you forget. You forget to do the basics, and uh, on behalf of our hosts and everybody that attended that party, I apologize. So there we go. That's uh, all that out of the way. Let's let's dive into this game. Thirty-eight, thirty-five. The Chiefs win. Two one seeds going at it. There was a lot, obviously, at stake, as there is you could say for any championship game. But for for these two squads, particular the the Chiefs, coming off the uh, disappointing end to their last couple of seasons, coming in as an underdog to an Eagles team that was absolutely loaded top to bottom. Their entire roster had steamrolled through the regular season prior to the Jalen Hurts injury and uh, absolutely laid waste to the NFC playoffs, blowing out the New York Giants and the San Francisco 49ers. So two weeks later, these these two teams meet in Arizona for a football game, and the Eagles controlled it for really the entire game. They had 11 more minutes of possession than the Chiefs, but the Eagles led by 10 at halftime. But then Kansas City scoring on all four of their second-half possessions. Uh, touchdown, 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 and, of course, that field goal at the end. But I guess we'll start with just an overall perspective of the game and wherever you guys want to take this because uh, it was a loaded, eventful game. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you look at the, the Jalen Hurts fumble, you look at the Harrison Butker missed field goal. I mean, there was a multitude of errors on both sides, but really it was – you know, a combination of just great football from both teams as well. Um, you know, during the pre-show, we talked about the Eagles just being absolutely stellar on third and fourth down. Um, then the Chiefs, they only had the ball three times in the second half, but scored on all three uh, on all three possessions. So um, it was just a great back-and-forth game. Um, I don't know where it ranks all time. I think it's probably at least in my top seven, top five Super Bowls. Um, we'll talk about the ending. I think the ending was incredibly anticlimactic. But um, if we want referees to not, uh, to, you know, to be invisible in terms of watching a football game, um, it's not their job to create, um, you know, just this incredible ending. It's not their job. So, uh, but we'll, we'll get into it. But um, overall, just a great football game, and it, it's really great for something like the Super Bowl, I think we all can kind of acknowledge that it's a celebration of the game uh, during that night. Um, you know, obviously with the with the halftime show and all the pregame festivities. Um, so overall, just a great night. I think the NFL uh, did a pretty good job. How do, yeah, first of all, are we all in agreement that it was one of the, the better Super Bowls we've seen in a while? Was it? Does it rank up there? It's probably the best one since the last time the Eagles played in the Super Bowl. They just seem to have a penchant for getting in these great games. I mean, it was yeah, back and forth, a great affair. It was probably the most complete game of football I've seen at a Super Bowl in a long time. And Ian, you said this pre-show. I mean, the Eagles played 
The Eagles played such a Eagles. stellar game. Uh, it was probably the best game you could play in a Super Bowl and lose. That, yeah, it's got to be one of the best losing yeah. efforts. You yeah. know, next to, I don't know, maybe DeLome and the Panthers or something. Like, it was, yeah. In a high-scoring affair at 38-35, we were all surprised to see that the over-under coming in was around 50 points and uh, two really high-flying offenses. It doesn't always seem that the big game lives up to whatever billing we give to it, but... Uh, as far as the points scored and, and the long drives. Even special teams plays with the Kadarius Tony punt return at the end. There was a missed field goal early on that kind of loomed large for most of the game. So whatever you wanted, it had uh, in a big way. Around around that, though, with the Super Bowl, it seems it's always different than any other game. The commentators over-explaining everything. Um, it seemed like Jackson, right, even the, the camera angles were, like, too zoomed in. I, I just... It definitely had a different feel. Um, how, how did we feel about how about that as an experience watching the game? Yeah, it was a. It almost felt like it was experimental for for a Super Bowl. Um, well, I mean, first of all, we can talk about the uh, the new Fox blip and the new score blip. I thought it was it was pretty solid. I, I you know the score line down there on the bottom. If we want to you know get into technicalities about uh, production, but um, yeah, the camera angles were incredibly close, um, kind of like a. Uh, to use a film term, I guess, kind of a um, closer to a close-up or a medium close-up rather than, um, you know, a long-distance shot so or a long shot. But um, it was it was hard to tell where, where teams were on the field at some points uh, during the game. You know, it, if, you're, if you were not watching the drive and all of a sudden, uh, you know, you're in the third or fourth play on the drive and you weren't watching the plays before and you're, you can't even tell where they are on the field. So I just thought, you know, it was a – a very weird time to, to try that out. Um, maybe the camera angles in, in Glendale or where they can position the cameras, um, perhaps a little different than, than most stadiums, but uh, it felt like, you know, no offense to, to Raycom Sports or, you know, uh, a lower quality production um, for, you know, some local channels, but it kind of felt like I was watching a, a local uh, non-national TV broadcast at some points. It did kind of feel that way. Do you guys agree? Uh, I definitely agree with the scoreboard uh, thing. You know, I, I guess there were times where it was zoomed in a, a bit, you know. Like, um, there's a play I remember, um, I think it was the Eagles on the 30-yard line. Like, uh, the Chiefs 30-yard line. And I, I think I stepped away for a minute. And I was like, what? Like, where? How did we get here? All those gigantic uh, logos all over right, the field. Right, yeah. yeah, exactly. I mean, disgusting. Like, you can figure it out, I mean, you know, by just looking at the markers and which direction they're going in. But, I mean, yeah, for a casual viewer, it was probably disoriented I mean, and those, those huge uh, Super Bowl logos there down, um, you know, near the 20, 25-yard line. Are they bigger than they're usual? Bigger, they're bigger than, yeah. I mean, they're bigger than some team's logos. Um, you know, at midfield, which is, it is very uh, aesthetically unpleasing, I think, to people that watch football a lot uh, and that are used to having those big logos. And uh, I know this is making for enthralling radio, talking about <laughs> talking about logos, but, um, you know, we'd love to hear your opinions at 850-644-1837. So, um, yeah, go ahead, Andrew. I, I, hate, I hate to say it, but do we see a world where now the 20, 25, 30 yard line are full of ads in 10 to 15 <laughs> years? It feels, it would feel very on brand with where our culture is now. Well, if Boise State, have already gone to that. If, if Boise State can have, you know, an entirely blue field, then what's stopping anybody from making, uh, you know, and then just Jeff Bezos making every field and a big old Amazon ad? I mean,. Yeah, I mean, you see in in basketball at the scores table, they've got the the little screens with the ads on it. You see in baseball all over the the outfield walls. Even in hockey, the entire ice is covered in in ads at the bottom. So it is. It's an unfortunate kind of cynical reality. And I thought I thought it was just worth mentioning about the the presentation for a game because this is you know a lot of people this is their game a year. Mm-hmm. And I thought the way it was presented was a little bit strange. How about the the halftime show with Rihanna? I I am not a a big music guy, nor do I know a lot about Rihanna, but isn't it true that she had not done any sort of live performance or anything like that recently, and this was kind of her her return to the stage, right? Did it live up to, to the billing? Well, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not a huge Rihanna fan either. Um, I didn't think the performance was horrible. I think, I think some people were, were giving her too much grief, uh, you know, on various platforms, but uh, some other people were like, hey, there's a football game going on during a Rihanna concert, apparently, uh, which I thought was was quite clever 
uh, some people on the internet did a funny. So, um, but, <laughs> but, um, you know, it, apparently the special guest is the fact that she's having a baby. That was her special guest, uh, at the, at the Super Bowl. So congratulations to her. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's a, just an interesting night. You know, there's always going to be memes going around, um, really as soon as the first commercial starts, uh, Twitter, Instagram's just going to go nuts. But, um, yeah, I thought it was definitely, uh, a very interesting, uh, platform, very interesting stadium, uh, set up for the, for the concert set up, excuse me. Uh, some people were saying it looked like a Super Smash Bros, um, platform, but, yeah, go ahead, Ian, if you're ready. Oh, well, I was going to say, um, you know, it would have been maybe a little better if they brought back 50 Cent instead of uh, the baby, but <laughs> I think it was still a, it, it was a good performance. I mean, I, again, I'm not like a Rihanna guy either, but um, for what it was, it was, I thought, very well done. It, was, it wasn't it was like a spectacle in the same sense that a lot of the Super Bowl shows recently have been, where it's like elaborate stages and everything, you know, it's just like very simple. They just lift her up in the air. And she sang, and I thought it was cool. You know, it, it seemed as though the camera angles and the camera production was better for the halftime show than it was <laughs> yeah. for the actual game. No, that one shot at the end, after yeah. like where where the fireworks went off, that was yeah, chef's kiss. Get an uh, an Emmy for that, the production of that. The last auxiliary thing that I just want to touch on commercials. We gave uh, we drew ire to the the two B commercial, but was there a commercial that? is you're going to walk away with thinking that this was a good one or even just what the best one was for last night. Well, you know, I, I stepped aside um, during the Popcorners commercial. I guess that was when I left the toilet seat The Breaking up. Bad. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I, I stepped aside to, to and I wasn't able to witness the Popcorners Breaking Bad ad with Brian Cranston and um, I'm, I'm blanking. Aaron Paul. Aaron Paul. Thank you. Um, and I wish I had seen that. I'll have to go back and watch that one. But... Uh, the fact that everybody was talking about it and that I missed it, uh, that's the one that I'm going to remember that I missed. I'll have to go back and watch that one. I'm going to keep it real with you. I didn't really care for any of the ads. <laughs> they weren't it, that good. They weren't, like, overly funny or creative. It was just like, hey, look, it's Paul Rudd, you know? You know, it's funny. I think we've gotten so used to so many Super Bowl ads just being shocking and yeah. raunchy and... It's kind of like now that they it, it wasn't really that way. We're all kind of like, well, I kind of missed that. You yeah, know? I guess you know. <laughs> they just it, at least you know at least be entertaining. They just weren't really that entertaining. This I can year. still remember that GoDaddy commercial. Oh from, my gosh, from like 2008. Yeah, like 2012 or something like that. Yeah, no, was that was Broncos Seahawks. But yeah, um, the one good one was the dog one with the. Oh yeah, they, I was gonna mention. We, we all went didn't nuts. Kill the dog. We all went nuts that that dog. Stayed alive throughout the entirety, the, the entire yeah. duration of that commercial. It pulled on some heartstrings, of course, everyone fearing for the worst that it, he would meet his demise. But thankfully, he uh, maintained a part of, an integral part of the family. And so I'm, we got to move yes, on with our lives. Yes, yes. I, I'm just going to say we're not going to talk about the M&M ads. No. We're not going to talk <laughs> about the gender of the M&Ms. We're not going to talk about the attire of the M&Ms. Maya Rudolph uh, introduced as the new spokesman for M&M's, whatever that was. Didn't they bring back the M&M's at the end? They were teased. Yes. Oh, it's like, okay, it's like an MCU film. All that for, um, a, for a candy, one of the more ridiculous things. Uh, pretty good candy, though. So that, that's it for that. And again, one more time, 850-644-1837, because I know you want to get in and be a part of this. But looking now more at the game... Philadelphia started off fantastic. It was a five-minute touchdown drive to open the game. They also had two more scoring drives later on that were seven minutes or longer. Uh, a lot of talk about the Eagles' rushing attack and how they're built around to really control the clock and uh, those third and fourth and one plays. This brings us to another interesting conversation, which is uh, I call it the Bush push back in 2005 USC-Notre Dame where um, I think it was Matt Leinart pushed into the end zone on a quarterback sneak from from Reggie Bush, the running back behind him. The Eagles this season debuted that that sort of formation where it looks like a QB sneak. Hertz gets the ball, and then you have two or three running backs behind him just push him forward. I went back and watched the replay of the entire game this morning. They lined up in this Bush-Push formation seven times, and it worked. I think six of the seven, there was a false start on the last one, or uh, the seventh of of the seven but it, it the fact that they did it that much in the Super Bowl 
I don't think anyone could have expected that. They would do it maybe two or three times in a, in a regular season game. But it draws the conversation, should it be a legal play? Because in the rule book, you're not allowed to pick up the ball carrier and advance him. But to me, it's almost what it is if you're pushing him forward. So the fact that they built such an advantage around it that every third and fourth and one is an automatic first down, uh, do you think it's going to be outlawed? Should it be outlawed? And I think it, it kept Philly in the game because they were able to extend so many long drives. They were 11 of 18 on third down in the game. Absolutely not should it be banned. Um you know, I think the the ultimate core uh, value of football is moving another man against his will. Um, you know, like you said, as long as they're not picking him up, as long as they're not pulling him, because you can you can pull um, your your teammate uh, for for more yardage. Or excuse me, you can't pull your teammate for more yardage, but you can push him. Um, I think that kind of gets us back to the the rugby style of the game. I think it's a kind of a, a tribute to that kind of. Um, play and I, I think as a defense just don't allow the opposing team to get in the third and short or fourth and short situation easier said uh, than done obviously easier said than done but it's it's kind of like in tennis it's like if you don't get your first serves in uh you shouldn't be uh you shouldn't be rewarded by you know you have to hit the the second serve in tennis more conservatively and it's the other person's it's the opponent's job to take advantage of it so um, you know, absolutely should the Bush Push uh, still be around. Well, on the one hand, it's a creative solution to a very simple problem, just getting over the, you know, one yard, and obviously they've kind of worked their way around the rule book to get that done. Um, but as like an on-field product thing, I'd have to side more with William. It's, as somebody who's rooting for the Eagles to win that game, I got a little sick of the Bush Push after the third or fourth one. It's like, it, it does give it a feel of like inevitability, you know, like, it's a creative scheme, but in execution, it's so, it's like, simple and just, like, I don't know. It just well, I, I looks think the, wrong, I think the Eagles uh, converted it because their offensive line well, yeah. was better at it than the, what the Chiefs' defensive line was prepared for. Yeah, that was another um, thing I was going to include was the, you need to have the personnel to get it done. I mean, I this mean, is going to sound crazy, but if you put, you know, eight-year-old peewees on, on the other side of the ball and, and you put uh, – you know, a high school team on the on the offensive side, who's going to win that battle, and vice versa. So, uh, you know, it's just that the the better offensive the offensive line was better than the defensive line in every situation at that or on that night. I just don't think that banning it is the right solution. It's just you know that they were able to move the ball against the Chiefs' will using that play, and they were sacrificing long plays. Um, in order to do so, so more power to them, in my opinion. Not only more power to them, but they should run it every play. Let's get it started. Eagles revenge tour. Come, come out. Quarterback sneak. Second down. Quarterback sneak. Third down. Quarterback sneak. Fourth, fourth down. Quarterback sneak. You could uh, get in two or three yards on it every time. I think. The NFL competition committee this offseason, the the view that they might take on it, like Ian had alluded to, is just even as an on-field product, it's it, probably not what they want. They would rather see the Philly specials mm -hmm. and the jet sweeps and right. different kind of play action specials on fourth and one uh, and actually have entertaining plays with the game on the line in those key situations. But the fact that it is so automatic. We've seen in football plays get outlawed because they're too overpowered. Mm -hmm. I don't see how this is any different. Pass interference on defense used to be legal. You could do anything you wanted to the wide receiver, but at some point the game was terrible and changes had to be made, and I would put that in that statistical category, but I understand the other side of it as well, which is if you just want to impose your will, our guys up front are better than yours and we're going to get this yard, we deserve it. Well, if the play has no constraints, then I, I totally understand banning it, but the play has constraints because it doesn't go for more than four yards. It doesn't go for more than three yards. So, uh, you know, this idea that the play is unstoppable, um, I just think that's a, a bad argument. So they ran it seven, or they lined up in the formation seven total times, and uh, how good they were on, on third and fourth downs. Again, 11 of 18 third down conversions Kansas City did not convert a single third down in the first half which really stood out to me uh, and that played a big part in time of possession so Philly scored the opening touch uh, touchdown on that that long drive then KC responded it was 
that really nice play by uh, Travis Kelsey to get past a defender. Uh, a nice throw from Mahomes, and he was wide open in the end zone. Then there were some punts. Harrison Butker missed a field goal that looked like that would, would play a large part. And then later on, uh, at the end of the first half, a play that really changed the game. Jalen Hurts in his own territory running a little bit of a designed quarterback run, and I don't know exactly what happened on the play, what caused it, but the ball just slips out of his hand and uh, scoop and score for Nick Bolton of Kansas City in, in, a, in a situation where another long drive from Philly in that first half might have gone to putting that game away. Instead, it's a, a seven-point swing on the other side. Uh, and the only turnover of the game, and really the only mistake that Jalen Hurts made the entire 60 minutes, but that was a huge part of the game. Absolutely, like you said. I mean, that, that could have been a 14-point swing. The Eagles were just moving the ball, you know, left and right because maybe the bush push, but, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, I was thinking to myself when that fumble happened, you know, had the Eagles um, gone down and scored that drive, I was thinking this might be a blowout. I mean, so uh, the fact that, you know, Jalen Hurts, I mean, sometimes you're just, you ever just walking and you have a water bottle in here and you just drop it? You know, that's just what it felt like. It's just it, it felt like this you know, almost like involuntary kind of response. I mean, obviously, when you watch the replay, uh, it looks like he's about to get hit, and he, he did get hit, but um, he drops the, the ball before he's even touched. Uh, but, yeah, that that was monumental in the game, and, you know, we talked about this pre-show. Um, Harrison Bucker is probably the luckiest man in America right now. You know, he misses that probably, what, 42-yard field goal? I, I, I apologize for not having the exact yardage. It but, was 42. Um, oh, I did have the exact yardage. So, um, you know, that's not a chip shot in the NFL, but, you know, you expect an NFL kicker to make that 90, what, 5% of the time, 90% of the time. And he did not uh, have a good year this year. That was mm-hmm. a concern coming in was if they had to kick to win, which they ultimately did, yeah. <laughs> but he missed that one early on. KC uh, came up empty on their last three drives at the end of the first half and I don't I don't stress on this to say that that fumble from Hurts lost Eagles the game or anything like that but that was a point where Philly really could have run away with it because they yeah. ended the first half up 10 it probably could have been 17 20 uh points if not for that fumble and so um that's just my thoughts on it did we have anything else to to say really cuz that was the only blunder on what was Kind of a legendary Hertz performance, a record-setting performance at the least. Yeah, it's hard to find any other blemishes in his performance. I mean, like you said, pre-show he accounted for four total touchdowns, three of which were rushing. So it's also like his success was heavily dependent on the way that they that the Eagles play football, and they did it very well. Um, but yeah, that one mistake is uh, sadly what some people are just going to remember from that game. Um, but I mean, we also have to remember uh, the Eagles' defense didn't. Uh, get a yeah. Chiefs stop. Uh, they didn't get a stop uh, in the entirety of the second half. Granted, they don't, you know the Chiefs only had the ball three times in the second half, but um, you know to, to to not get a stop in the second half. You, I think um, if you're not going to pin it on the referees, which we'll talk about later, you have to. I think you have to pin it on the Eagles' defense there, mm-hmm. especially with Mahomes on on one leg, as everybody's saying. There was no pressure. Um, yeah, it, it didn't seem like in the second half the Eagles uh, didn't put out their best effort there. Twice, yeah. twice on third down, there were men coming uncovered for Kansas City scores. Yeah, those those plays at the goal line, and I do want to talk about that as far as Andy Reid goes because, especially against that Eagles defense, those were as easy a touchdown as you were ever going to find, and that was that was incredibly impressive for, for what they put together. Philadelphia led by 10 at halftime when Rihanna came out and, and sang her thing. Patrick Mahomes, late in the first half, had re-injured that ankle again. He hurt it in the divisional game against Jacksonville, then re-injured it uh, the next week against Cincinnati. And again, that right ankle, he got sacked, uh, and the defender fell on him awkward, and he was hobbling off the field. And then we say, oh boy, here we go again. Chad Henney's going to have to come out in the Anything Super Bowl. is possible. That's what we all thought, and... I don't want this to to kind of get swept under the rug either as far as what goes around this game. I know he gets the game MVP and all that, but a a re-injured ankle, and he comes out as good as he was in the second half again. Chiefs were down 10 at half. And ran for some first Uh downs, too. Mm -hmm. A 26-yard run, yeah, I think in the fourth quarter on that ankle. 
the Chiefs had four, only four drives in the second half, and they scored on all four of them. The first three of which were touchdowns, and the field goal was all they needed with with time nearly expiring. So, yeah, let's go there next with just. I know a lot of open receivers. Kelsey had a, had a good game coming over the middle. Um, but another thing to me, part of when we previewed this game, the two receivers that were questionable for KC coming in, Juju Smith-Schuster and Kadarius Tony, and both of them had basically the games of their lives in just the second half of that game alone. Yeah, but I really do think um, the people that are, excuse me, Chiefs fans should really be thanking uh, Jerry McKinnon, McKinnon uh, for sliding down there at the end. He could have easily scored. He could have easily walked in, um, you know, giving the Eagles a chance to tie it up uh, with, you know, two minutes left, minute and a half left. But he decides to slide. They take a few knees. Obviously, the Eagles only had one timeout. Um, they iced the game. Uh, just a just A-plus a IQ, uh, football IQ decision there. Um, but, I mean, yeah, just all around. What a great game from both teams. Um, like I said, it, it was a perfect culmination of – uh, a game that celebrates the game itself. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Mahomes only had, what, 180 yards throwing? Mm-hmm. But, uh, like, like Ian, I think we talked about this before the game, um, you know, he gets the job done anyway. Uh, just just a stellar performance from, from almost everybody. Yeah, it's true. Kansas City, the additions that they made in the offseason, obviously they lose Tyreek Hill to Miami. But they replace him with Juju Smith-Schuster, who's coming away from the Steelers, who they got on a pretty good bargain. And then in the middle of the season, uh, a, a player by the name of Kadarius Tony, who was just sitting on the bench of the New York Giants, and uh, the Chiefs give up a, a conditional third and a sixth-round pick for him, uh, it came up huge. He had a 65-yard punt return. There has been no punt return touchdowns in Super Bowl history. That one was about five yards away. And then... On that uh, same drive, it was Kadarius Tony um, uh, catching, or that was the the following touchdown drive. But as Andrew had mentioned, coming open wide open against an Eagles defense that never allows that sort of thing uh, to get a touchdown there. I just I just was really impressed with how well uh, Kansas City came out of the locker room because they looked kind of dead at, at times in the first half. The narrative going into this game and the way that it kind of looked the first half, it was like a. <clears throat> Pardon the analogy, but it's like a Terminator versus Sarah Connor deal. It's like a just a ruthless, well-oiled machine versus like the one-man band, you know, trying to figure things out with the scraps he has left. Um, and it, you know, the second half that completely flipped on its head. I mean, Kansas City just played a total team effort. Like, like we said, they didn't allow any sacks. They, they, you know, the, the offensive line came to play when it mattered. Um, the receivers made the plays of their lives. Um, yeah, so. Just a little side note, I don't understand how Travis Kelsey, possibly, you know, the the second, he is the second biggest star other than Patrick Mahomes on that football team. How is he open? How is he that open all the time? He's just that good, and, I and, guess. And, and, and also we can talk about Andy Reid's schemes. Um, I, need, I need to watch game film that encompasses the entire field uh, to see how he's getting that open. I honestly don't know. I went back and watched the the replay this morning one of the the plays where we we mentioned the super zoomed in camera angles and all this you kind of miss it but they on the replay it was uh, Kelsey lined up as the tight end on the left side of the formation and he just comes around all the way across the field to his right looking like it's just going to be kind of a, a boot play but then in the middle of Kelsey just going to his right he just completely turns around to his left and leaves the defender in the dust I think what it is Jackson is for such a big guy it's easy to just kind of think of him as a physical brute. But he played quarterback in college, and he was a multi-sport athlete. I think he played basketball as well. For a man his size, he has got incredible foot speed. Mm-hmm. He's very agile. And so it's, an, it's a matchup nightmare because if you put a corner on him who can match his speed, Kelsey's just going to out-physical him. And then if you put a linebacker, he's going to outrun him. It was the same conversation with Rob Gronkowski for all those years, and, and Kelsey is no different. He's going to be one of the best postseason players of all time by the time he retires as well. But with Gronk, and I'm, I'm not saying you're wrong there, everything there was correct, but I think what's what's interesting about the Kelsey situation is that Gronk was never that open all the time. Yeah. So I just... Some it, of it is scheme, like that yeah. route I described. Yeah. He never... Rob never did that in New England. No, he didn't. I mean, he, he was going up and he was mossing dudes or he was, uh, you know, like you said, just, just out... Um, 
manning them physically. And but but Kelsey, he's just open all the time. I just don't get it. How you know. Uh, a defensive coordinator. He must just live in defensive coordinator's nightmares every day. I, I hear he uh, doesn't wear deodorant, and so uh, guys are just so put off when mm-hmm. he's running around. They don't want to get anywhere near him. That would be an effective strategy, probably. Uh, that This was his 18th playoff game in his career, and he's got, I think, all-time you know, 1,200 receiving yards, You know, 15 touchdowns, something absolutely nuts like that. Jerry Rice... Uh, is is one of the greatest NFL players of all time, but I think Kelsey is going to end up passing Jerry Rice for a lot of those numbers when all is said and done, which is really incredible for a tight end to do it at the position that he did. And obviously, the Chiefs would not have won without without his efforts. He had that touchdown in the first quarter and a couple of key grabs uh, later in the game. And so we mentioned that KC scored on all their second half drives. Um, they had that. That five-yard touchdown after the, the long Kadarius Tony punt return to make it 35-27 Chiefs. Then the Eagles go all the way down the field and tie it at 35-all with just five minutes left. Um, the Eagles were really good throwing the ball down the field all game long, and, and A.J. Brown had a couple of big catches on that drive. So they tied at 35 with five minutes to go, and then it's Casey's turn, and Philly almost got a stop on that drive to get the ball back, but instead... Uh, that holding penalty called on James Bradbury that everyone is going to remember about um, with with Kansas City uh, in the red zone and uh, a third down play where uh, the receiver is, is kind of held a couple of times by Bradbury, but then James eventually lets go and they throw the hole to give Kansas City a first down. Then you have that James McKinnon run where he slides at the one-yard line, uh, causing Philly to call all their timeouts. And so... It was a situation where Kansas City was literally going to kneel downs um, in the Super Bowl in a tie game, so a very anticlimactic finish. It was a 27-yard kick for Harrison Butker with eight seconds left, and then a Hail Mary for Hertz that comes up shy. But uh, that penalty on James Bradbury, uh, that that's up there in postseason lore, um, that essentially cost the Eagles the game there at the end. Uh, so let's let's talk about that call and whether or not it should have been made and if it was a good one. <clears throat> I'm gonna I'm I'm clear my throat again to make sure I'm 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 heard, uh, you know, pretty loud and clear here. Um, you know, in, in the post game presser, Bradbury said, you know, he did hold, um, and it it, it it does not change my opinion on whether it should have been called or not. Uh, I think it was one of the the most ridiculous church league soft whatever you want to call penalties I've ever seen, especially in that moment. Um, you know, when when a, a writer writes any sort of narrative fiction, um, you know, he has his own interpretation of his own work, but that, that doesn't mean that uh, other points of view, other other interpretations of that work are invalid. Uh, and I think the same kind of analogy can be applied here. Um, just because Bradbury said he, you know, he, he tugged a little bit, um, he said, he, you know, even though he committed a penalty, I, I still don't think it was the right call at all um and you know you hate to see the referees you know pull out a hanky there at the, at the very end kind of kind of put it in their hands um and not the players uh you know we talked about this pre-show they, they were getting away with it all game and whether you know they 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 flag them for keep trying to uh you know get away with stuff i mean you can make that argument but i just thought that that call was um, wrong. I know you never see this in sports talk radio, but I'm actually going to go out on a limb and, and disagree with ah. <laughs> with that with that with that opinion. I thought it was I thought it was the right call in that. I think it was holding on Bradbury. Juju Smith Schuster was the receiver. Mahomes ends up throwing um, kind of well past the play, but you, you'll see quarterbacks do that when they think they can draw a hold because it ends up being part of the play essentially if it's the targeted receiver. Uh, Smith Schuster was kind of running uh, a double move or whatever you want to call it in, in man-to-man coverage, and to me, what really sold it was that um, when Bradbury and Smith Schuster met initially during the play, Bradbury tugged. Then Smith Schuster uh, turned around and spun upfield, and then Bradbury tugged him again. I thought the fact that it was twice definitely impeded uh, the receiver's path to the end zone and impeded part of the route. 
Um, and then obviously a good sell by Mahomes to make it seem like it was a timing route that definitely was caused by holding. But um, I, I disagree with the fact that because uh, you hear this a lot in any sports, you hear it in hockey during the playoffs and, and any in football as well. Well, it's the playoffs. You know, we really shouldn't be calling those. You got to let the players play. You can kind of get away with some extra physicality. But I think if it's if that's part of the rules, if that's how you're going to call it in a regular season game, I, I see no reason why it shouldn't be officiated that way in the Super Bowl. And I think as well, kind of the alternate side of the point that you brought up, that Bradbury had the same the same defensive player had gotten away with those penalties earlier on in the game. He even said in his little new scrum in the locker room after the game that um, he admitted that it was a hold, and his mindset was, well, the refs were letting me get away with it earlier, so I was hoping they were going to kind of look the other way on it again. And so, you know, I, I don't necessarily blame Bradbury for taking that, but at the end of the day, how are we going to be mad at, at a penalty right there if the player that did it literally was tr- admitted he was trying to get away with something? Well, I'll tell you what. If if that is called regularly, um, you know, throughout the regular season, throughout all year, um, and I'm not saying, you know, oh, it's a, they're script writers. So I'm not saying, oh, the refs had Kansas City money line. That's not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying is is I think that's an egregious call any time of the year. I think that's an egregious call uh, in the first quarter of the first game. I think it's an egregious call of the third quarter of week eight against the Jags and the Texans. I I, I I just think um, that's a it's an incredible nitpick of the rule. I think um, referees can have some sort of nuance to how they call games. Um, for instance, you know if you know we talked about the Mahomes hit um, that that cost the Bengals um, that game in in the AFC Championship game. Um, you know they're going full speed. He doesn't want to let him turn up field. He had one step out of bounds. Um, I'd have to rewatch the that play specifically to uh, give you how I feel about it exactly, because um, it's been a you know been a couple weeks. But um, you know I think referees can have some sort of, of agency when it comes to, to um, calling games, and um, obviously we we can debate and disagree about that. But I just thought it was a horrible call, um, regardless. What's the verdict from the panel on the Bradbury hold at the end? Well, I'm conflicted about it because on the one hand, <clears throat> I do agree with, with William that, I mean, technically it was a penalty. I mean, he admitted to it, but at the same time, you have to take into account, you know, the context of when it happened and the, the optics of it are just terrible. I mean, for a game that was relatively clean and so high scoring back and forth, you know, like we were saying earlier, pretty perfectly balanced game, for it to come down, you know, in the final minute to that, it's it just seems like the kind of thing that where you know at that point you just kind of let it play out, especially if you've been doing it all game, you know. You're wrong. You're wrong. Both of you are wrong. But maybe if he had held on for a little bit longer, then you could have thrown a flag. Okay, so it was it wasn't a you're wrong significant enough of a hold. So who do you agree with more, Andrew, me or me or William? I would say it's fifty-one forty-nine right now, but uh, I, I'm willing to hear offers. Towards towards who? Towards you, but oh, I'm willing to hear. Go. I'm willing to hear offers. That I'm was, keeping my options open. That was only the ninth combined penalty for each side. Only fourteen penalty yards for Kansas City, and that only thirty-three penalty yards for Philadelphia. So they weren't uh, major uh, penalties either. A lot of five yards, like pre-snap and, and things like that. Um, there, if you want to say, I'm not saying anyone in here has said it, but I have seen it uh, being talked about. If you want to make the argument that Philly got jived by the officials, that somehow or another they just got the screws put to them, I would say that's just categorically false for the reasoning that, like I said, Bradbury had been getting away with those for the entire game. There was also a roughing the passer on Patrick Mahomes that definitely should have been called a was either Hassan Reddick or Jordan Davis that had basically just taken a punch at Mahomes' helmet and the helmet almost came off. You see that if the hand even touches the helmet of the quarterback during a play, you always see that cold roughing the passer. I understand the idea that the NFL had had enough controversy with that particular penalty this year and didn't want to see it called in the Super Bowl. But I think Philadelphia, if you take the whole game in perspective, they were getting away with a lot of stuff 
that should have been called, and just that one call against Bradbury at the end doesn't go your way, and it's a tough way for your season to end. And let me ask this. Does it ruin um, what this game was for you? Because we did kind of agree that it's up there recently, but um, for what was a classic for the entire game, for the way that it ended, did it kind of sour it for you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, But I, I will say I agree with you. Uh, I mean, I don't think it was the officiating that, that ruined the Eagles' chances at all. Um, like you said, uh, the Chiefs uh, did not fail to score in the second half. Um, so if you really had to play the blame game, I, I'd go to the, with the Eagles' defense there in the second half. But um, and the, only, the Eagles obviously scored 11 points in the, in the second half um, after scoring, what, 24? So, yeah. um, I mean, they're... The Eagles didn't play as well in the second half. That's just the, the the reality of it. And and to win a Super Bowl, you have to play better in the second half than your counterpart. But, um, you know, just in that play, isolated, uh, I just think it was a horrible call. At the end of the day, Philadelphia had 11 more minutes of possession uh, than Kansas City did. Philadelphia gave up that 65-yard punt return where their special teams wasn't really uh fill in the gaps like they were supposed to that allowed Tony to completely reverse fields on that long return and then even Kansas City missed a field goal in the first half so there was a lot that that went right that Philly could have taken advantage of that they kind of just left on the table uh in some regard so I, it never comes down to that one penalty at the end there's always plays earlier in the game that that make a difference yeah and to not spin your question um to and to fully answer it um yeah it, it did kind of sour it for me um just because uh, whether the call was right or wrong, I think everybody would agree that it, it made the ending very boring. Um, it did. So, yeah, uh, yeah I, I, it, it was such a great game for, you know, 58 minutes and 30 seconds. But, um, you know, thankfully, though, we didn't have to watch that all night. Thankfully, yeah. those kind of calls were not being made all night. And uh, I think everybody got their money's worth. Well, that's usually my biggest gripe with the refereeing is that I just – if you're going to be either aggressive with the calls or let things slide, just mm-hmm. be consistent. You know, yeah. that's my big issue. And I don't, I, you know, for them to insert themselves at the end felt inconsistent with what they were allowing the rest of the game prior. But at the same time, you know, Philly had their chances. You know, it came down to it, and Andy Reid's a better coach than Nick Sirianni. You know, like, and and so it, it is. You, you you hear that a lot in baseball with umpires. Ah, well, you know, you know, the home side's getting this call, but the away side's not. Um, oh, this umpire's all over the place. Oh, this umpire needs glasses. So, you know, it's – I agree with you, Ian, 100%. Um, you know, if you're going to be – if you're going to be more more liberal on, in what you're going to call or if you're going to be more conservative about what you're going to call, just be uh, consistent with it. Absolutely. Yeah, the game tied 35-35 with five minutes to go. I think we were all had our fingers crossed for that legendary play at the end, you know, Malcolm Butler at the goal line or any other uh, plays that we've seen. We didn't end up getting that. Like, he did get quarterback kneel downs to lead up a field goal, and a really failed uh, Hail Mary attempt at the end was not anywhere close to that type of finish. But a really good game for the first 55 minutes, I guess you could say, or the first 50, 57, 58. That that holding call, though, was not the only controversy that's come out of this game. Uh, especially in the hours after the game concluded. A lot of talk about the field conditions uh, in Glendale. It was State Farm Stadium where the Arizona Cardinals play, and for anyone that isn't familiar, maybe they talked about it during the broadcast. It's a retractable roof, um, but it is natural grass. They have a kind of just this large tray where they can wheel the, the grass in and out of the stadium. Uh, in preparation for the Super Bowl, they would put the grass out in the sun, during the day, and then because of the frost and all that at night, they would wheel it in to the stadium at night and trying to keep it well. But we also talked about earlier those massive logos, all that new paint that goes on the field, uh, both of the end zones, the new midfield logo, the two uh, field, uh, logos of the 25. Um, and players have constantly been complaining about on for that game they had no traction on the field. It was slippery. Guys losing their footing. It seemed like tackling. Yeah, the Eagles changed their cleats at, at halftime or at, in between quarters at some point. Jalen Hurts uh, changed his cleats, and uh, some of those the offensive linemen, though, if I recall, the reporting on the Chiefs' sideline was the Chiefs were not changing cleats, and the Eagles did at halftime. 
And so, you know, the or the Chiefs played a lot better second half than Philly did. I don't know if it's the cleats. I'm not saying that, but um, that is, we talked about NFL officiating, but the fact that the field was not up to standards for the Super Bowl to me really stands out as well because I just there's no real excuse for something like that. Yes, well, it was a special type of sod. Tahoma 31 developed at Oklahoma State University in Stillwater, and let me just say, I'm not here for trash talking, but I don't exactly trust uh, a school with a 70% uh, admissions uh, acceptance rate when it comes to my uh, championship football. And so that how long have they been using that grass for that stadium, do you know? About two years. Okay. It was developed about two years ago. So that's... We haven't. I haven't heard anything. The only talk about field conditions is how much the players hate the artificial turf. the The point of putting this game in Arizona, part of it is because you get you get the game inside, but you also get natural grass. Trying to get the best of both worlds, but they, I mean, they really botched it. Yeah, and and Andrew, to your point, um, I agree with you. Plus, Oklahoma is not necessarily a state you think about grass, you know, in in connection to. So. Uh, that's a really interesting and unique point there. Um, maybe they need to go to Kentucky for their grass. You know, they have that nice blue grass. Maybe, yeah, go ahead, Ian. Maybe. Uh, might I suggest South Florida, where we have a whole river of it. Really? Grass, that is. Huh. It's called the Everglades. Uh, fair enough. <laughs> fair enough. You know, you get, um, what, what are those called? The, the, the big uh, the cattails? Cattails. Yeah, yeah. Just, just, put a, just put a field of cattails out there and uh, see what happens. I'm kind of interested. I am intrigued to see in the weeks that follow this game what's going to come out if Roger Goodell says anything about it or just if, if they'll even admit like they kind of let they let it down not having that that field the way it should have been but the fact that grass plays a part of the Super Bowl I thought again it was just that's not something you see all the time uh, final kind of wrapping up notes of this game for Philadelphia let it not be uh, forgotten that this Eagles offense is kind of nothing without Jalen Hurts. I think the receivers played a great game. They went downfield a lot more than I expected with Devontae Smith and A.J. Brown, the two receivers that they invested a lot in. Um, But an Eagles run game, that had been talked about a lot. The running backs put up nothing. I think if you take out Jalen Hurts and his his scrambling abilities and all that, I think the running backs only averaged about two and a half yards per carry uh, throughout the game. And and Hurts threw... 40 times almost for 300 yards. He ran for three touchdowns, which is was a Super Bowl record for a quarterback. And uh, we mentioned the, the fumble in the first half, and they only score, the Eagles do, 11 points in the second half. But uh, what a game for Jalen Hurts. Yeah, again, like what I said earlier, you know, for somebody to place all the faults at his feet would just be you know, completely wrong with regards to the fumble and stuff like that. Because when you compare his performance to the relative incompetence of the rest of his team not just the running game but of course the defense you know that failed to hold up its end of the bargain in the second half you know I think Jalen Hurts did enough to win that football game even with his mistakes but you know at the end of the day it came down to Kansas City just ran the ball better they you know schemed better is coaching masterclass they established the running game they did and they never let up Surprisingly, Kansas City ran the ball a lot better than Philly did as far as the running backs go. The rookie Pacheco had 76 yards and and McKinnon with with some nice runs in there as well. Uh, But for Jalen Hurts, because this is what we do after the Super Bowl, we kind of say, well, now what? Uh, He's still in his rookie contract. Next season will be the final year of his four-year rookie contract. The entire deal is worth only $6 million as as a second round pick. He made a little bit more than a million bucks this year. And so the question I pose is, as far as Philly's team building is is viewed, do you give him $40 million a year because you can't afford to let him go, that you finally found your guy after Carson Wentz and that debacle? Or do you say, well, we've got a lot of young stars with a lot of money due to them in coming years. We want to keep them all in this building because our team was not – uh, fourteen and three, and and almost won the Super Bowl because of our quarterback. It was because of the rest of the roster. Um, or do you just bite the bullet and you give them the big money and build your team around them? Yeah, that's a tough question because I remember uh, you either said this last night. I think you said this last night, William. You know, look how it worked out for 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 Dallas with uh, with Mr. Prescott. Um, 
it's a tough question. I mean, that's why the GMs get paid the big bucks. Um, you know, I know I've been given this platform to, to talk about this on this radio show, but I'm going to be completely honest. I have no clue. I mean, that's such a tough decision. Um, you, I mean, you look at Jared Goff. Jared Goff, you know, after they go to the Super Bowl, was a, you know, NFC championship winning quarterback that took his team to the Super Bowl and lost to the greatest quarterback ever, um, you know, by 10 points. So you look at that and you go, yeah, he, I, I'm pretty sure he deserves, you know, to have a payday. Uh, not saying that we should be celebrating losing, but um, that optic, it, it's hard to get away from that optic. Um, but I think, you know, when you compare, you know, someone like a Jared Goff or a Dak Prescott, who in big moments has played very, very, or, you know, Jalen Hurts has played very, very well compared to, you know, a Jared Goff or um, a Dak Prescott. Um, my gut tells me you, you got to pay the man. Yeah, yes. Um, I think Jalen Hurts should take some lessons from the guy across the field who is well compensated in Patrick Mahomes, but not top of the league, and his deal is pretty team-friendly. They did restructure it, yeah, because I think they, on the face of it, right, it was 10 years, $500 million, uh, but they, they moved things around, and everyone is talking about how the cap goes up every year with the revenue. I wanted to point out, I saw during the show that Super Bowl 57, the, what we watched uh, last night, was the third highest viewed uh, program in the history of television. Wow. Which is, I saw the, the, you know, the top 20 is pretty much all Super Bowls and big football games, but it's the third most viewed TV program of all time, and, and that just goes to show how good NFL so is doing. I'm going to guess, I don't know if you have the numbers in front of you, I'm going to guess one was probably either the Seinfeld uh, finale, or number two may have been the MASH finale. I know the MASH one is up there, and I yeah. think as far as Super Bowls go, I think that, that Patriots-Seahawks one was gotcha. what I think was uh, at the top as well. Um, but uh, And part of the, the question about Hurts that I posed is a bit speculative as well. I am not. I did kind of assume that he'll be asking for $40 million or so because that's the going rate. We'll see what Lamar Jackson gets because yep. I think Hurts is going to kind of base his off of that and say, well, I'm, it's kind of the same situation. I know the the Cardinals probably overpaid for Kyler Murray, and and that that might not work out as well for the team as it's going to for the player. But the Cardinals invested a lot more in him, drafting him number one overall. But Kyler, I mean, he prestige on Call of Duties twice. So, I mean, I think they're getting their money's worth. We, we can agree to disagree. No, I'm just kidding. But um, yeah, I mean, you, you look at that was my criticism of Patrick Mahomes uh, signing that huge contract. Um, I'm all about guys, you know, getting their money and stuff. But uh, I'm glad to see that he learned the Brady that Tom, or learned the lesson that Tom Brady showed us that when you sacrifice, you know, a couple million here or there, uh, so that you can get better players on your team, you will win a lot more. And I think Aaron Rodgers did not learn that lesson. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Patrick Mahomes did learn that lesson, um, and I'm glad to see it. So uh, hopefully, guys will start to understand that. Um, yes, you know, it's a job. Yes, you know, you want to have, uh, you know, generational wealth for your family. But at the same time, if you care, if you're willing to care about your legacy uh, for a couple million dollars, you know, if you're willing to, for your legacy, get paid 38 instead of 40, um, then uh, I think it can really flourish for some people. One of the other things that they have to take into consideration with Hertz's um, extension is the fact that um, Shane Steichen has accepted the job with the Colts. So there's also the question of how much... I'm not saying that he's a product of his scheme because I, I don't think that you could scheme well enough you know, for one person to do as well as he did last night. But at the same time, you know, well, uh, offensive coordinator with a similar scheme you know, from the same tree or whatever, but will, you know, will, they, will they be able to replicate... The, the same kind of success that Hertz had this year, or is it, you know, I don't, I don't know what the, you know, the give and take is with the coordinator and the player. Mm-hmm. Well, we, ne- we never see what it is. I know the when Philadelphia was in the Super Bowl in 2017, it was Frank Reich left to be the head coach of the Colts, and what was it, Stefanski or someone was the quarterback coach, and mm-hmm. it ended up being that maybe those guys were more valuable than Doug Peterson was because he did not finish well in Philadelphia. So it's yeah. the same situation again mm-hmm. where it's, uh, who is really driving the system, and is it going to be the same moving forward? And sometimes it's the opposite. I mean, everybody, you know, look at Scott Frost at UCF and, you know, Josh Heupel's as OC. 
Um, mm-hmm. You know, Scott Frost, he gets to go to Nebraska, and I'm not saying Tennessee is a, 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 a lateral move at all, but, you know, look at the success that Heupel's had at Tennessee and look at the success or lack thereof that Frost has had at Nebraska. I just think, you know, it's you never, you, like you said, you never really know what's going on behind the scenes. Well, uh, Nick Sirianni was the Eagles' primary play caller last season when the year started and then there was a, a disappointment and really anger he was bullied by the philadelphia fan base because he didn't run the ball enough he bring he um promotes steichen uh to play college during the year last year and then now he's gone you wonder does he try to keep doing things the way shane uh, steichen did the murphy goes back to his old habits that's going to be really interesting to follow because in baltimore uh, we don't have enough time to fully go into this but it was Greg Roman ended up getting fired, the guy that was the architect of the run-based attack in Baltimore that got an MVP for Lamar Jackson, and they had some letdowns in the playoffs. But it was they had invested the roster, the coaching staff, and they didn't invest in the quarterback yet. But everything was about that kind of run-based system that Philadelphia has, and and it will be great to see or interesting to see how uh, it shakes out if they're going to have to find a new offensive coordinator or Stefanski will try and kind of pick up uh, where the old guys left off. But uh, that remains to be seen. So the Chiefs get their second Super Bowl in four years. That's huge for them, big for Andy Reid and for Mahomes. Maybe we'll talk about that at another day. Before we leave, you want to just give you some quick uh, FSU sporting notes uh men's basketball had another 0-2 week they lose to Syracuse and Pitt and uh they've got only got a handful of games left before we're all uh given some mercy and no longer have to <laughs> to see this team play basketball Leonard Hamilton firmly declared today to John Rothstein he is not retiring lucky us that is something we will have to address at a later date because there is a lot to dig into there. And then uh, for the, the women's basketball team as well, they're 20-7. and seven. I checked in the poll this week at, at number 24. But they had a letdown of a week, too. They lost to Miami and Virginia Tech uh, this past week, so a rare 0-2 week for them. And they've only got four games left of the regular season before the ACC tournament comes around uh, in a few weeks. So that's for Florida State basketball. Uh, softball started their season last week. They're 4-1. and one. FSU baseball will begin their season Friday at 5 uh, for a weekend set at Dick Hauser against James Madison. So lots of things going on. Um, but but great to have everyone that listened to the show along for the ride for our Super Bowl recap and a special edition of, of Tomahawk Talk. No doubt, but as we begin to sign things out at about 8.02, new releases coming up next. I've been William Haynes for my co-host Jackson Bakich, Ian Hughes, Andrew Cheney, our producer behind the glass, Jack Oliaro. And again, new releases next. You're listening to WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State.